Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. So James Carey, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you very much for having me. First, I just wonder if I could ask um, if you just say a bit about yourself. Many of our listeners will have read you in the Church Times and also be familiar with your writing and appearance at festivals like Greenbelt and some of the sitcoms you write. Could you just tell us a bit about your, your background there and, and your work? Well, my background is I'm the son of a dairy farmer in Somerset, and I think I'm the first non-dairy farming Carey, probably since the Norman Conquest. So, um, and you can imagine my, how thrilled my parents were when I told them, I'm not going to be a dairy farmer. They were pleased with that. I'm going to be a writer. Oh, uh, you know, dairy farming is not a secure business, but to go out of the frying pan into the fire. But it was kind of comedy. And actually, I wanted to be a writer because I just love comedy. So I love and, and in order to understand comedy, you kind of need to understand how it works and how it's put together. So. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I ended up writing lots of comedy at school and then at university and then partly through the failure to get other jobs, I ended up writing comedy for Radio 4, sketches for what was then called Weekending, and which was, Weekending was partly a description of some of the sketches, which had a fairly weak ending. And then um, I managed to get a sitcom commissioned called Think the Unthinkable about management consultants. And, and, and that kind of put me on a track to do a few TV sitcoms and then back to radio and then involved with Miranda and then did my own sitcom on the TV. And then you know, so I've kind of been toggling between TV and radio and podcasting and, and other stuff. But then in the last few years, I've particularly been in, interested in writing about my faith as well and about the Bible that I'm really excited about and passionate about. So I just thought I can kind of combine all that because I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm only 45, but I'm old enough to not care what happens now. It's just like, OK, I've written some sitcoms. If I get cancelled for being a Christian, well, that's all fine um, because I love the Bible more. Uh, but I'd, I'd like doing both and I'd like to keep doing both. And I mean, as a, as a we've had Paul Carenza on this podcast before and talked a bit about Christians in the comedy world. And I mean, I thought, what is it like being a Christian? And I mean, and you're a, I mean, you say in the book, you're a I don't I don't want to apply labels, but I guess an evangelical Christian who, who really signs up to the tenets of the faith. And I think you say in one, I think the promotional material for Greenbelt that you're a Calvinist. I mean, how does that go down in the comedy world? Does it not really come up Yeah. Twitter handle, uh, I think I'm a Calvinist, although I'm increasingly thinking I might be a Lollard. Um, so I really like the medieval church, but I'm kind of with the Lollards on all of their grave reservations about it. So that's that's one for another podcast, really. Um, <clears throat> bring back Lollards. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the specificity I have, I've become, weirdly, I've become more confident and more conservative in many ways as I've gotten older. But I've become less worried about, A, what people think of me, and B, what I think of them, and see what what they believe. So, I'm I'm not. And, and actually, it's interesting. On another podcast, I think called Cooper and Carey have words where we talk about the Christian world and the Reformed uh, Christian faith, particularly. We once you start seeing them, you see purity tests everywhere, where people say you're not a true member of the church unless, 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 unless you believe this, unless you're a young Earth creationist, or unless you believe in full predestination, double predestination, and you know damnation as well as predestination, all that kind of stuff. Um, it just kind of doesn't get you anywhere, um, and you're not required to give an account for anybody else's faith. So um, I'm a big believer that the Bible says, "Mind your own business." Um, as much as it says anything else. Uh, so 
you know, it doesn't say it particularly like that, but there's lots of, you know, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life if you want to get biblical. Um, and you don't need to save the world. Uh, the position of saviour has been filled uh, by Jesus. Fun fact. So, um, so yes, yeah, so in a way, I kind of have become more relaxed about it. I don't feel personally attacked, even though people that I work with in a secular workspace must think I am resoundingly, emphatically wrong about all kinds of things, you know, in terms of my complementarian views as well. Um, and, you know, so I just, it, it is what it is. I am where I am. And I, it doesn't, it doesn't really keep me awake at night. Um, if anything, I think um, the alternatives would keep me awake at night. I, I think unbelievers, I, I, I find it very hard to empathize with unbelieving that you wouldn't be racked with worry all of the time. And I guess some are because we have this anxiety epidemic uh, which is probably going to dwarf uh, the actual global pandemic. So, so yeah, so that's kind of uh, how I feel about things, which I don't know. It, it, did that answer the question? There was a question a while back, wasn't there? I tend to just talk. <laughs> oh, it does. It's, uh, that's really interesting. And I, that's, I, it wasn't the answer I was expecting. That's, that's really interesting. And, and then we're talking about today about your new book, The Gospel According to a Sitcom Writer, um, published by SPCK. Um, and we've published an extract in this week's Church Times, um, I, I really enjoy the book. You, you write that the book is funny, but also Christian and say these two things tend not to go together. I mean, why do you think Christians generally and the Bible in particular tend to be viewed perhaps as so serious? Um, I looked at this uh, in my previous book, actually, Sacred Art of Joking, um, where I explain how jokes work and how they go wrong, especially in the realm of religion. And it's always been sad to me that the church tends to have a sense of humour failure, especially you know, the Protestant uh, sort of serious Puritan Calvinist church, which is kind of my church. And I, and the more I read scripture, the more, the, the funnier it seems to me. And it's not, it's not all funny. And Jesus wasn't a stand-up comedian. But if you're assuming that none of it is funny, then some of it is literally not going to make sense. So if you have a high view of scripture, which I do, and I believe in, in the inerrancy of scripture, which, you know, I know can be defined in a number of, number of ways. But if you, you know, th there are times when Jesus is kind of joking. Otherwise, what he says is really awful. Um, you know, when he's talking to the, um, in fact, I was reading Mark this morning, Mark's gospel with the Syrophoenician woman and talking about, and basically calls her a dog. Uh, that's not very nice, but he was kind of bantering with her. And it's really interesting how God uh, banters with people. When, when uh, in, in Eden, when uh, even Adam then eats, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil god comes down and starts asking them questions where are you what have you done why do you do that <laughs> rather than you know eviscerating them obliterating them nuking them uh vaporizing them which he kind of could have done so there is this kind of dialogue that we have uh which you know makes calvinists very nervous uh, <laughs> as you can imagine because it's sort of it's it becomes a bit ambiguous and uncertain and calvinists like uh certainty um so but if you read scripture that's what we have we don't have calvin's institutes we have a book of stories and letters and laws and uh all kinds of uh all kinds of things and we're very rarely told how to interpret them um we are invited to dialogue with them i think this is something that the christians are kind of rediscovering the jewish tradition of asking questions and dialoguing about the texts so that kind of stuff excites me. And that's that's my sitcom life is like working out what are the characters trying to achieve? What do I make of that? How does this fit with a passage somewhere else? And so it's just reading scripture 
as a script, uh, which is, of course, how lots of people historically would have experienced it because they couldn't read, they couldn't afford books, they would have heard scripture. So the moment, and, and, and then I'll, I'll shut up, the moment you hear scripture read out loud really well by an actor, the first thing you notice is that it's actually funny. Not, again, not everywhere, but it's usually surprising. And if you hear large portions of it um, read, you, there'll be lots of jokes and there'll be lots of what we would call in sitcoms callbacks um, and moments where it's like, ah, suddenly this is becoming clear. But because we tend to, you know, make re read the Bible in tiny little chunks, um, especially evangelicals, we read a tiny bit of it and then try to explain it, um, which is about as much fun as trying to explain a joke. Uh, it's, so, it's all suddenly not very funny, uh, whereas a joke should be experienced. Uh, so yeah so that's kind of so the book is an attempt to kind of draw out here's how it's funny here's reading between the lines here's some stuff that isn't in the bible but might have been running through their minds as as they're experiencing this in real time uh, during Jesus's earthly ministry but also in the in the minds of the listeners you know as they are hearing it and their minds are possibly thinking what might happen next Sure. And you, I mean, you said something about the format of the book, because you, I mean, there's some reflections, but you also, there's a lot of, you've rewritten passages, which you emphatically say are not the word of the Lord, but they're your uh, kind of, I have, it's, 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 it's quite un, unusual and very um, different to anything I've read before. Um, and I noticed that you also, it's, I mean, it's mainly drawn from the Gospels, but also a bit from Book of Acts. Yeah. So, I mean, the Gospels I probably know better and maybe there's a whole book in the Old Testament stuff as well. Although I think I talk a bit about Moses at one point and the, how funny the burning bush episode is where God keeps calling him and he keeps saying, you know, oh, Lord, send someone else. Um, it's all it's all a bit embarrassing. Um, and it doesn't feel like the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments moment. It feels um, it feels a bit more like a Disney comedy moment. But yeah, so. I'm always interested in how in the New Testament you have those little bits that say early manuscripts do not include the following. So they kind of leave stuff in like those um, chapters, that, the half chapter in John, John chapter eight. There's no way that was in John originally. That's just that that, that really is late, I think. Um, when John is so when Jesus is drawing on the ground um, with his finger and we don't really know. It's just like, what, what is that doing there? And um, but I kind of, and there's that, an extra ending to Mark as well, so previously deleted scenes and stuff. So what I'm trying to do is, is say, is invite you to be creative about what you're reading and thinking and hearing. Um, and just sort of saying, this isn't scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of messing around here. But what I'm not doing is saying, isn't the Bible silly? I'm saying, you know, partly, aren't we silly? But also... It's an improv technique, and I'm, I'm not really an improv person at all, but the general rule in improv is you say yes and. You affirm what's been said, and then you build on it. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, given that Jesus changed water into wine, given that Jesus walks on the water, then what? Rather than, wouldn't it have been funnier if Jesus had done X, Y, Z, turned the wall, oh, he's turned it into beer by mistake or whatever like that, and suddenly they're all a football crowd singing. It's like, no, I'm not, not doing that. And I, there probably is a way of doing that. Uh, without getting lightning bolted um, but uh, but that's not that's not what I feel particularly called to do so I'm kind of riffing on what's already there assuming that it's true and then kind of um, digging down into how the disciples are thinking well this is weird uh, because 
bear in mind that when Jesus turned water into wine, they didn't know he was going to do that. That was like, you know, we, we, we know it because it's the most famous uh, miracle uh, of Jesus's ministry. But they didn't know that. The servants didn't know that as they were filling these jars with water going, he does know this isn't wine, right? And the steward of the feast didn't know that. And it, what's interesting, particularly about John 2, is the fact that the people at the wedding didn't know that it had been done. Um, and there's a secrecy to Jesus's first two miracles in John where he sort of heals people or in the second one. But in the first one, he the water had become wine at some point. So it's all it's all really interesting. Um, just those 11 verses are just sort of intriguing and so tightly written. So it's just a question of letting it breathe, having a think. And and there are bits where where it's funny. So let's laugh. It's OK. And then the, the wedding at Cana, I enjoyed the um, letter, I think you published from the couple whose wedding it was because of the social embarrassment they've experienced because of having run out of wine. Yeah. And the fact that they're not named as well. I always feel sorry for Steve and Barbara or whoever's wedding it actually was, that this is probably the most famous wedding in human history. Um, and they're not mentioned. It's like, oh, come on. Look, we, we shelled out all this money and he didn't even name us. I mean, that's kind of that's not cool. I was also interested in what you said about your, your retellings of gospel stories. You you, um, you write from the perspective of the, well, you write about the disciples and other characters, but not about Jesus. Um, and there's, is there a reason for that? Yeah, I think there's partly a risk of blasphemy issue. I just don't feel comfortable putting words into the mouth of Jesus. And, I'm a, and I don't believe in red letter Bibles. I think all scripture is God breathed. So therefore, there's no reason why the letters of Jesus should have read you know be written in red but I think there's just a quality to him that I don't feel I can improvise with or speak to I, I have nothing further to add uh, to the words of Jesus and I think it would be foolish to do so I'm not saying it artistically creatively theologically can't be done I don't quite think I could go that far and, I, and I'm open to that but I know that I I, I think there's enough to be looking at with the disciples and their reaction to him uh, rather than sort of start trying to second guess what Jesus is, is thinking. Um, so that's kind of why I avoid that. It's a kind of a creative decision as much as a theological conviction. So, yeah, so I, I try to kind of have Jesus say stuff and then he kind of gets out of the way, which, again, is consistent with with the Gospels, particularly. And, it's, and you know, J Jesus keeps slipping through people's fingers, uh, especially at the beginning of John. He goes off on his own to pray quite a lot. Um, and, and the disciples are left there just thinking, well, what do we do now? Who is this guy? What? You know, um, and I kind of imagine the humanity uh, of that. And I think it's kind of encouraging that we as Christians 2000 years later don't really know any better, um, even though we could kind of read more books and find out a bit more. Um, we're left kind of groping around, coming to terms with this incredible God man. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's kind of why I've gone down that road. And the extract we're running this week, I found really funny. I mean, along, along with a lot of the book, but about a disciples brainstorming session, I think it was inspired by some of your experience on Darsterson synods or deanery synods or pcc's or whatever where they get the post-it notes and there's even highlighters i think they get excited <laughs> and they sort of start interrogating jesus's mission statement about go and make disciples of all nations and saying this isn't quite specific enough and perhaps we should preach the gospel just with our actions not words that famous francis of assisi quote and um, preach gospel at all times which is probably never 
it's probably not he's probably never said it poor bloke yeah apocryphal i suppose but i mean there you seem to be satirizing some of the tendencies in the contemporary church is that is that what you're also trying to do yeah i think so in a way that we kind of make the bible much more complicated than possibly it is so when jesus says go and make disciples of all nations you know it's like well go on then um so i know it's i'm being a bit kind of you know um disingenuous i suppose with that but yeah i've sat in a lot of church meetings where you know there's lots of brainstorming and there's lots of um post-it note distribution and writing things up on boards and saying how these things make us feel and i find that stuff quite difficult uh because it tends to not really lead anywhere it gives kind of the illusion of being of being consultative and we're just trying to capture all the good ideas here and all that kind of stuff and i kind of get it you want to bring people take people with you um but one of the things that comes out there is that people people tend to want to bend the church to their will and say that my thing, my gift, my ability, my passion should be the church's gift, ability and passion. And actually we're a body, we've all got different gifts and we can rejoice in the differences in the different uh, abilities and uh, and callings. Uh, so we, but we very easily kind of twist scripture to sort of say, therefore my ministry is the supreme one. Therefore, therefore I should be entitled to money, respect, uh, honour, um, theological preference, all that kind of stuff uh so so yeah and we, we just sort of, and in a way we just sort of get in the way i think of the mission so we kind of inflate our own self-importance and it's it's jesus builds his church and we get to join in uh, in the same way that if you've got like preschool children and they in inverted commas help you with the with the cooking um i mean that's that's what our that's what our efforts are like in building the kingdom of god somehow something ends up in the oven uh, but it's kind of usually in spite of our best efforts. Uh, so, yeah, I think just a bit of dose of humility really uh, would, would would be good on that. But equally, you know, I, I get why people chuck out post-it notes and, and, and try to get people involved in that way. But I find it pretty infuriating. And I think most people do. And once or twice, people should stand up and just say, look, come on, is this actually worth doing? And or more controversially, can the leaders here actually lead and make a decision and then we'll try it um and if it doesn't work we'll try something else uh but um we're getting into church politics there which is no no sure i, I sometimes have the fear of um in a, in a church service which during the sermon when they say turn to the person on your left and start talking about you know a time you were afraid or something or you know and i think oh just just preach a sermon please i just want to listen to you you've done the work on this you know you've thought about it yeah and i also don't want impromptu therapy from someone i've never met before uh yeah no yeah I, I think there's i think there's probably and that's not you know again you know why they're doing that but that's not uh that might not be pastorally responsible to 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 start opening that up there and then uh so yeah you sort of you want to be charitable in ascribing intentions of person of someone doing that but equally you just go and if you're if you're a member of the church of england I mean, that's an awful thing to do, isn't it? We don't do that stuff. Look, if I want this kind of thing, I'll go to a charismatic church, thanks. Um, I'm here at St. Simon's. Uh, say the words, preach a sermon, and let me get on. I've got something in the oven at home, you know, which has got to come out at 10 to 1. So can we can we keep this one moving? <laughs> that's right. I mean, talking of, of preaching, I think in, in your 
in the sacred art of joking you caution clergy and, and preachers generally against using humor too much in their sermons yeah i think and i think the reason for that is sometimes people just sort of tell jokes at the start to break the ice and i just think that's a waste of time um if you've only got if you've only got 16 minutes to preach a sermon you know you just, for goodness sake tell them what the bible says um don't tell them a joke that they could get off the internet i mean that's just a complete I, th I think that's an abrogation of responsibility if i can overstate things slightly um and i just think also it shows a lack of confidence maybe in in your in your own calling it's like god has called you to preach this text to these people so get on with it um you don't you don't need a joke uh to eat up time and to do that to break the ice you know they already like you actually probably um so 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 give them give them the word um anyway, we've established i'm an evangelical i would say that wouldn't i um but i really do i really do think that that's the bit where you preach the word okay you know it's like to, to get on with it and if you've only got nine minutes if you've got 45 minutes make full use of that time but also i think the other thing is the, the people who are naturally gifted and, and funny they can be tempted to be funny and suggest rather that they're the funny one and that the Bible's not funny and that Jesus isn't fun to be with and that God isn't uh, the bringer of joy. Um, and so I think that's just an, uh, that's going to perpetuate the idea that that the Bible's never funny. Um, so I, I'm kind of against I'm against that. Um, and I think so when I preach, I am quite funny and I have been professionally funny uh, for, you know, an hour and a quarter at a time uh with a large group of people um but i try to script what i'm saying quite carefully so that i don't end up sort of going off and being a little bit funny because it's distracting it's not helpful because i'm trying to explain the parable in luke 19 and frankly we need all the time we can get to work out why the king gives the takes the the mina from that guy and gives it to the one who has 10 and all the servants go what are you doing he already has 10 it's like talk about that that's much more interesting they're not going to get that on five live they're not going to get that on the Today programme. Um, they're not going to get that, you know, on Michael McIntyre's show. So just make use of that time um, and stop mucking about. So, you know, I'm aware that that feels like I'm now telling people off for trying to be funny. Uh, but I hope people get get why I'm doing that. No, it's interesting. So I guess perhaps people in your congregation knowing what what you do for a living um might expect you to it to turn into a bit of a stand-up routine so that's interesting that you don't want to pander to that yeah and you and they'll give you the benefit of the doubt on a half joke and they'll laugh and so i really try to be super careful and actually frequently i'm just not i mean most sermons i'm just not funny i try to be interesting and i try to be faithful to the text but but being funny uh yeah kind often kind of gets in the way um because it's uh, because it is such a visceral emotion uh, and it is very chaotic. And that's one of the reasons why the church don't like comedy is because you can't control it. It kind of taps you on the shoulder and rings your doorbell and runs and does all these kinds of things, um, which if you want to assert control, which the church kind of does and historically really has wanted to, then comedy is not your friend, really. Uh, so that's why it's always easier to sit on it. And that's why the stand up comedians are usually the first against the wall when the revolution comes. Uh, they don't they don't want those um, because they, you know, they're, they're anarchists or at least they appear to be. They're not. But that, that's how they look. Um, you also write in the book that sitcom writers 
are often asked why they can't write a sitcom in which Christianity is represented in a sort of fair and reasonable light, rather than say as a fringe issue. But you say this isn't possible. Why? Why is that? Well, I think it's because of where we are at the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got one or two ideas on that front in terms of actually writing something, but. Because now faith is so such a fringe thing within the mainstream media, at least it isn't on the ground, but it's very hard for something for for a, a religious character. That's their one primary characteristic in sitcom land is that they're religious. So you get Holy Mary and Phoenix Knights, or you get the Vicar of Dibley, or whatever. You're not allowed to be, um, you, you're not really allowed to be a to be a fully rounded sitcom character plus, and also a sitcom because that's just going to dominate because because you might as well be a Jehovah's Witness or, um, you know, and that's, if someone's Jehovah's Witness, that, that's quite a big deal because they're not often represented. Um, so I think that that's how Christians look, is how Jehovah's Witnesses look to us. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. And you suddenly want to know more about that. And therefore, whatever else you're trying to do, that specificity is just going to get in the way. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the boring technical reason as to why it's very hard to have someone who's just a Christian. And having said that, I mean, what was interesting was uh, there was that movie. It was an Apple movie with Tom Hanks as a uh, is the Battle of the Atlantic. I want to say the Greyhound or something. And he was seeing his uh, ship through the Atlantic during World War Two. The character was a Christian. Uh, that did not really come up, but you saw him pray. Um, there was no oh look at those people they've de- they're de- they're now dead where is your god now there was none of that stuff at all it was just part of who he was which is not unusual for the 1940s an american guy to take a bible with him and actually pray um so you know i, I think it can be done in the in the right places in the right ways and i i would hope that we're we're open to those um but i think the church maybe needs to lead the way a bit and maybe put its money where its mouth is and say look if if the mainstream media aren't aren't doing this um then why aren't the church doing it um and why was the church dominant culturally for hundreds and hundreds of years it was the biggest patron of the arts by far um so we shouldn't be surprised uh, that the church was so dominant for such a long time because it paid artists what an what an amazing thing that is and i'm aware that my again my my calvinist puritan thing is like we smashed it all we tore it all down we whitewashed the walls uh, I think, and we're paying the price for that. Um, I think there was some, there was some good iconoclasm. Don't worship statues. The Bible specifically tells you not to do that. Um, but equally, uh, the Bible encourages us to to enjoy beauty, uh, both of the natural world, but also in art. And the temple was beautiful. The Ark of the Covenant was beautiful. The Garden of Eden was beautiful. Uh, the New Jerusalem will be beautiful. So beauty can be your friend. Um, so we should be more artistic um but we don't want to pay for it i mean there are a few tips i think you give in the book for how sitcom writers if they're going to have a christian character what sort of cliches or misrepresentations they could avoid i mean what could you give a an idea of a few of those tips well it's th- it's those things where if you're a christian and you actually go to church the moment you see a church in drama or television you just think oh okay here we go um and immediately you realise, oh, the person that wrote this scene has literally never been to church in the last 30 years. And all they're doing is they're writing a scene set in a church based on other scenes that they have also seen set in a church. 
so the congregation are singing all things bright and beautiful we don't sing all things bright and beautiful it's just not it's just not on the list no maybe very occasionally and they have christians say things like you know talk about you know the man upstairs or the good book and all these kinds of things it's just like no no that's not really how christians talk um and yeah kumbaya is the big one as well it's just like i mean that's like a 70s protest song almost isn't it i mean that's kind of part of the hippie uh, the hippie movement and it's like it's just like you know so it is very frustrating um that you would never write um an, a scene set somewhere else with so little attention to detail even you know it's it's a bit like the, my other bugbear is in it's like when screenwriters write a scene of cricket and somebody is bowled out it, the ball hits the stumps and everyone shouts how's that and the umpire puts his finger up that's not how cricket works and hasn't worked like that for decades. I've never seen that in a real cricket match because if you're bowled out, you're out. You don't shout how it's like, how could you not know that? How did how did nobody on the set realize that? And so you get that with sort of Christian portrayals and church scenes and stuff. It's just like it's the how's that problem. Um, it's like, oh, OK, you, you could have just. You, you could have picked a hymn that we actually sing. You could have picked Amazing Grace if you want. We do sing that. But there are other ones um, that are kind of known, uh, but not uh, but not the obvious ones. And, um, you know, they just sort of get the liturgy flat out wrong. And again, I know look, I've written specific. I wrote Bluestone 4-2, uh, which is set in the army in Afghanistan. And there are procedures to the way that bomb disposal guys do stuff. And so you observe that where possible and sometimes you have to change it and that's fine. But you want a bedrock of truth uh, or truthiness uh, to those scenes. And again, we've just got a we've got a we've got a, a generation of, of writers who are just who've been completely de-Christianized. And so when it comes to writing church based stuff, they just literally don't have a clue. Um, and why would they? Um, and so it would be great if the church sent talented young men and women into the media uh, rather than into the ministry uh, so yeah that, that's just just a thought can I just ask I'm drawing towards the end but Brad, you remember the house of laity for Bath and Wells diocese on the general synod it's a bit I found amusing in the book I've sat through a lot of general synods and haven't I mean I've laughed a bit but not not a great deal I would say but um, you write though about laughing out loud during the reading of one bible passage at the synod and that drawing some uh, raising some eyebrows Yes, it was. Yeah, there was a reading, and it's just. I think. I think it was the bit where, where Jesus says, um, "the the truth will set you free," and the Jews say, "We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone." It's like, well, that's just that's just funny. It's just like that's just this is not true. Um, they they're practically defined by their slavery in Egypt, and then to the Babylonians, and you know all that kind of stuff. So it's like. So it's it's funny, and I, I'd sort of heard sermons on this before, but when you just hear it out loud, I just thought it was funny. And and in a way, then, I wrote about this in The Sacred Art of Joking, the fact that you've laughed when no one else is laughing, then itself becomes funny. It's like getting the giggles at a funeral, and you start laughing at how inappropriate it is that you've now got the giggles at a funeral, and you have to go out into the churchyard with your hanky over your mouth, pretending that you're overcome with emotion, and actually you've just got the giggles um so yeah so synod is a fairly 
serious organization uh, in many places but and then when people are actually trying to be funny it's very hard to be funny in that situation um and it frequently doesn't doesn't go well so you know you, you kind of want to play it straight in a large elected representative quasi legislative body uh so so yeah and then but then people often say to me when i'm a sitcom writer oh you should set a sitcom at general synod um to which i normally reply the problem with sitcoms is you need believable characters and I don't believe Synod is actually full of particularly believable characters. Um, and that, that that usually makes people change the subject a little bit. Well, I'd, I'd certainly watch that, but I, I might be one of the only ones. Um... Pretty niche, pretty niche. I mean, having said all that, I'm seeking re-election to the General Synod. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I'm asking for it. I'm one of those unbelievable characters. But I guess we've already said that because I'm a... You know, I'm a puritanical Calvinist complementarian who loves art, you know, and is secretly a Lollard. Uh, so I'm absurd to begin with. And the sooner you find yourself absurd, I think the, the quicker you're going to be uh, happy or at least content. Happiness is not the aim, but contentment, I think, probably is. And maybe having seen of members who don't take themselves too seriously is a, is a good thing for the church. Um, perhaps finally, I mean, can I ask what, what you're working on next? You mentioned something about a possible sitcom based on Christianity. Yeah. So, well, yes, I've just sort of rekindled an idea I've got. So I wrote a play called The God Particle uh, a few years ago, which is about science and religion. And the two characters in that just keep speaking to me. There's a there's a vicar, quite a traditional uh, a vicar, um, young, but young. And then there's uh, a, a sort of a sceptical quantum physicist who just sort of can't leave it alone. And I just keep wanting to put them in different situations. So I'm kind of plotting a few bits and pieces on that. I wrote in lockdown, I wrote an episode of a daytime detective show called Shakespeare and Hathaway. Uh, that was quite an un surprising development. Uh, so I hope to do a bit more of that kind of stuff as well. Um, and I'm writing another series uh, with Milton Jones for Radio 4. So I've got, you know, plenty of stuff to keep me busy. Um, and then if I, when if then eventually, if I can afford it, I, I will write another book. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Whether SBCK would like me to, I don't know. Um, we've not had that awkward conversation yet, but we'll see. Our first reading <laughs> is from the final chapter of the Gospel of Peter. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And Peter said, well that was weird. <laughs> and the disciples agreed, it was weird. But John said, did not our Lord say, I am ascending to my father and your father? And Peter said, did he? And John said, yes, he did. And it's going to be in my book. <laughs> wow, said Peter. Jesus has been gone literally 10 seconds. <laughs> and you're already thinking book deals. <laughs> and John said, I will write it so that anyone who reads it may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And Peter said, "Ugh. Oh, well, if you put it like that, I suppose it's fine. <laughs> and the disciples remained on the Mount of Olives, singing hymns and praising God. 
Then Thomas said, I doubt it, but now I believe. And Peter said, yes, you doubted, and now you believe. And Thomas said, do you think anyone will remember that incident? <laughs> incident, said Peter, you know, in the locked room. No, said everyone, hardly at all, completely understandable. Jesus came back, you weren't there, you didn't believe us. Fingers in wounds, perfectly natural. Oh, good, said Thomas. Oh, I would hate for three years of exemplary service as a disciple and a possible future as an apostle to be completely ruined forever because of just one week-long crisis of faith. <laughs> Forget about it, said James. It's not going to happen. Then John spoke. That said, it does provide a useful set-piece scene that helps with the overall resurrection narrative. It certainly adds credibility to the gospel account. Oh, great, said Thomas. <laughs> I haven't decided whether to use it or not, said John. If you stitch me up, said Thomas, and I'm referred to as unbelieving Thomas or faithless Thomas or... What about doubting Thomas, said James. Oh, that's good, said John. <laughs> not, not that I'm definitely using that in my book. Everything's very much up for grabs. Why am I the doubting one, said Thomas. Peter denied Jesus three times. To a little girl. <laughs> she wasn't that little, said Peter. Should have kept your head down, came a voice from the back. And you are, asked Peter. Bartholomew, <laughs> said Bartholomew. Bartholomew, said Peter. Bartholomew, said Bartholomew. I'm a disciple. Are you? <laughs> yes, in Mark, look it up. I just don't say much. Nor me, said Thaddeus. Ah, said Peter. <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> Thomas wept. Chin up, said Peter. Did not our Lord himself say there's no such thing as bad publicity? No, said Thomas. He didn't. Well, remember the parable that Jesus told, how does it go? Um, a king went on a long journey and uh, he left three men to work in his vineyard. Or was it a wine press? Oh, that's right. The sun fell in the wine press. No, that's not right. <laughs> I've got one, said Bartholomew. A Pharisee, a priest and a Samaritan walk into a bar. But this isn't helping, <laughs> said Thomas. <laughs> Two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. One said to the other, Jesus wants them to make disciples of all nations? Good luck with that. They walked away, shaking their heads. Here ends the reading. This is not the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.